The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Our scripture this morning is from Luke 2, verses 25 through 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is going to distract you, isn't it? So I'm going to slide over here. While while I do this, let me ask a question. How many of you opened presents already this morning? I can't actually see anything. I'm going to assume a lot of you did. We opened our stockings. Um... We're, we're opening our presents when we get back, so my boys have questioned me relentlessly to make sure this is going to be short, because they want to open their presents. But they, they had a present they, they wanted me to open before the service day, and so this was the present I opened. <laughs> so, I was wrong. I thought I would be excited about this 30 years ago, not excited about it today, but shooting my boys with these Nerf darts this morning was a blast, and so... If any kids want to be shot by Nerf darts before you leave, I'll be in the lobby after the service. I'm a football fan. Uh, My team is the Minnesota Vikings, which means I'm a perpetually disappointed football fan. But last Saturday, the Vikings did not disappoint me. Well, they did, but then they didn't. See, in the first half of the game, they did everything wrong. Every bounce went the wrong way, and they entered halftime down 33-0. to Winning the game seemed impossible. The, the single greatest comeback in NFL history was 32 points, so they would have to do something that had never been done before. As the second half began, nothing seemed to change. Then the Vikings scored, and they scored again. Still, we all knew there wasn't enough time for them to come back and win. It was impossible. Then they scored again and again. And with just a few minutes remaining, they were down a single touchdown. Maybe they had a chance. Maybe the impossible was happening. And it did. They scored again, and then they won in overtime the greatest comeback in NFL history. So it was, it was a remarkable game, and I'll be honest, I lost a few years of my life in that, that amount of time. But I think what was even more remarkable was I was watching after the game, and they were... They were showing like interviews with some of the coaches and players, and many of them were in tears. Like football players aren't known for crying, right? Especially professional football players after a regular season game. But these these men, these large, manly, beefy men, were in tears. Why? I think it's because they thought it was impossible, and and when something happens that seems impossible, it's profoundly moving. It's, it's powerful. It's unforgettable. Have you ever seen something happen that you thought was impossible? 
Uh, many years ago, one of our elders, his nephew, was diagnosed with a rare form of juvenile cancer. And we sort of as a church walked with him and his family through this, and many times it seemed impossible. And many times we got the call to pray because it appears that he was dying, and I think it's been more than five years since he's been cancer-free, and it seemed impossible. Another family during that time couldn't have kids, even though they desperately wanted them, and it seemed year after year without a child it was going to be impossible for them, and then they had five babies in four years. I don't think anyone ever believed they were going to have one. In Daniel chapter 2, two impossible things are mentioned. The first happens by the end of the chapter, and the second is one that could never happen. The first impossible thing is an interpreted dream. So the wicked king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream that frightens him, and so he calls his counselors to help him. And so this court of wise men who are there with different skills and different abilities and different sciences and, and even religious matters were brought to him, and they were more than happy to help him interpret the dream, but he wants something more. He wants them to tell him what he dreamed and then interpret it. I mean, how are they supposed to do this? Because it's one thing, if you're, if you're intelligent and you're trained and you're skilled, you, you might be able to use sort of your, your psychological and analytical reasoning to try to help him understand the, the, the purpose or the intent behind the dream, but it's an, another matter entirely to look inside the king's brain and discover the dream itself. He asks them to do something that's impossible. And so they tell him, They can't do it. And so, as an ancient king did, he threatened to kill them all. And here's what they say in response. They say, no one on earth can make known what the king requests. Consequently, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked anything like this of any magician, medium, or Chaldean. Right? It's it's impossible, king. This is utterly and totally impossible. But the impossible happens. And by the end of the chapter, Daniel receives the dream and the interpretation from God, and he tells the king and saves the life of the wise men. Now, now when they tell the king that what he asks is impossible, they do what we often do, is they, they compare it to something even more impossible. This is what I mean. This is like, like when you're driving your car, and you're, you've got a child in the car, and maybe you drive by the Andrew International Airport or something like that, and and they say, Mom and Dad, you should buy an airplane. And you say, sure, I'll do it after I win the lottery and I don't play the lottery. In other words, what you're saying is that the first thing, buying an airplane, is only slightly more possible than the truly impossible thing, that thing that has a 0.0% chance of happening. I have a 0% chance of winning the lottery that I never play. So... What's the truly impossible thing they tell the king? Here's what they say to him in Daniel 2. What the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods whose dwelling is not with mortals. So they say, king, we'll tell you that as soon as a god comes to live with us. Right? But there's a, there's a zero... 0.0% chance that a god would ever dwell with humans. So the second impossible thing in chapter 2 is an incarnated God or a God in flesh, a God who dwells with humanity. Now, 
what the wise men don't understand when they're saying this is that God created humans to dwell with him. In the opening page of the Bible, we discover that God made this man and woman in his image, and he placed them in this garden which served as a temple where he would join them each day to walk and talk with them. The God of the Bible, they don't get this, the God of the Bible, the true God is a God so overflowing with love that he created us to live with him and soak in the river of his love forever. And so they don't understand that God made us to dwell with him. But what they do understand is that God does not dwell with us. Like the consequence of the rebellion of those first humans is that humanity was exiled from that garden temple. We're no longer able to dwell with God. The alienation that we experience from God is a direct result of sin. And though God later commands his people to build a temple, that initial intimacy between God and man was lost. So instead of dwelling with God, now humanity needed a priest to enter God's presence on their behalf just one day a year. That was it. But but what we celebrate, listen, what we celebrate this Christmas morning is that the impossible happened. That God came to dwell with his people. I want you to listen to how one of the first Christian hymns describes this. This is an early, we can think of this as an early Christmas carol that actually found its way into the New Testament. Philippians 2 says that Jesus Christ, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, and this is where the hymn swells into the chorus, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, that first hymn so beautifully summarizes is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born to this young peasant woman and he united in in himself both deity and humanity. He walked and talked like us. He grew tired and weary like we do. He got sick and sore. He ate and drank, slept and woke. He came as a man, but he came as a man on a mission. He came as a man so he could die on the cross He could pay the price for our rebellion against God. He could save us from our sin. And then in that beautiful chorus of that hymn, it says he rose from the dead, he returned to heaven, and he sat down as king, and one day he will return, and he will come to his people so that we can once again dwell with God, that the whole universe will become a temple, and we will walk and talk with God in his presence once more. The impossible happened. God came to earth, he took on flesh, and he dwelt with his people. This is news worth celebrating. This is the news that has gathered us together this morning, isn't it? In fact, this is news that demands a response. If this impossible thing actually happened, then it should move us in a way a football game never could. It should move us even more than a clean bill of health or a new baby or five of them. This should move us to worship. It should bring us to a point of confessing our rebellion that alienates us from God and receiving the gift of life and salvation through His Son. 
And that's exactly what this good news has done for centuries. The good news that God dwells with us in Jesus, and Jesus is making a way for us to dwell with God forever, is life-changing, future-shaping, eternity-defining, worship-producing news. And here's one of my favorite parts of this story, is that some of the first, some of the ones that God seemed to specifically choose to receive this good news first, was a group of wise men, a group of counselors from the east where Babylon was located. These these descendants of the counselors who said, this is as impossible as a God dwelling with humans, they received this news that yes, the impossible happened, that God came to dwell with mortals. And what did they do when they heard the news? They journeyed to find him. They gave up everything. They said, this is what we must do. We must go see the impossible. And their response to the impossible birth of Jesus is an example for us today. How have you responded to the coming of Jesus? Have you received him as your king? Here's what it says about these, these first counselors who heard the good news. Matthew 2, verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. They did what is the only fitting thing to the news that God has come to dwell with mortals. They worshipped Jesus. They offered him everything they had. It goes on to say they offered him the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They offered him the best. Listen, lasting joy this Christmas will not come from presents around the tree. It will come through reconciliation with God by Jesus Christ alone. God has done the impossible. He has made a way for us to dwell with him. And this is pictured for us so beautifully in the Lord's Supper. Right, The bread is a picture of the body of Jesus and the cup a picture of his blood that he had to take on humanity in order for us to be saved. He had to take on humanity so that he could offer his life to die in our place. His body had to be broken. His blood had to be spilled so that we could be reunited with God. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.